As I begin to teach this morning, I want to uh, make some initial comments. One is that this is not just a teaching or an exposition or a commentary. Uh, we really desire to hear the voice of God. So there are times when we will feel that it's time to pray. There are times we'll feel that it's time to minister to each other. There are times to hear the voice of the Lord from somebody besides me. We, the Holy Spirit will operate, and we want to be very sensitive to the fact that He is the one that reveals Jesus to us. So I want to I want to begin. I want to begin with this um, calling your attention to the major themes that are in the book of Acts so that you can begin to, as you see the larger picture, then we can then begin reduce it and begin seeing the microcosm from the macro point of view first. The Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the book of Acts. We really should not have called it the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We should have called it the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And as you'll see in addendum number one, the Holy Spirit is throughout the book of Acts because Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm sending somebody that will be in you who was with you is now going to be in you. And the Holy Spirit was never in people in the Old Testament, though He spoke through the mouth of the prophets. He did not literally inhabit them as His temple in the Old Testament but whenever Jesus said, I'm going away, I will no longer be with you. But when He comes, He will be in you, John 14. So the Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the book of Acts. So I've given you a separate addendum to see how often, because more than any book in the entire Bible, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So for you to get really an understanding of this, you must understand that everything that, that Jesus did and accomplished on earth would be continued through His body by the same empowerment of the Spirit. In other words, there would be no difference between when He ministered on earth and now, with the exception His body would become massive, but it would still be empowered, energized, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not only the author of the book of Acts, but is all the way through giving directions for every single detail. I have a feeling that in our uh, 21st century church, the Holy Spirit is sort of taking, being relegated to a back room. <laughs> you know, He could mess up a service if we really allow Him to, to operate. And that's what He came to do, was mess up everything. He came to mess up your agenda. How many know that you may have been Baptist all your life, and then as soon as the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. <laughs> Or you may have been something not a believer, but when the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes because of the Holy Spirit being the, the same pleroma, the same fullness of God in you as He was in Jesus. Uh, let's go to number three. The history of the church and its progressive movement is traced. So everything in the book of Acts is progressive, from the mother church in Jerusalem to the Syrian Antioch church, and then finally to Ephesus, from the Jew to the Gentile, moves from the apostolic ministry of Peter to the apostolic ministry of Paul. Except for a brief mention in chapter 15, Peter is not heard of again from chapter 13 to the end of the book of Acts. 
Stephen's testimony as martyrdom is the turning point for the church from being a Jewish-centered church to the Gentile-centered church. Why? I'll throw it in right now. Is because those who instigated and killed him were not Jewish people from Israel. They were Gentile, Greek-speaking people, Hellenized Jewish people. So they were Jewish, but not from Jerusalem. So that became the segue from the Jewish church to the Gentile church was Stephen because he was killed by the Greeks. Does that make sense? They had embraced Jewish religion, but they were all Greek, and he himself was a Greek. Number four, the major players in the book of Acts are Peter, Stephen, Philip, Paul, Barnabas, and Silas play secondary roles. Persecution is a catalyst for the spread of the gospel. Now understand this because we have missed this in America. And we not only don't have persecution in America, we consider trials a <laughs> persecution. We were in India one time with Vals and Abraham at the largest festival of any kind in the world. It's 30 million people. You can see it from space. Every so many years they have a festival at the Ganges River. 30 million people. And they're so happy when all the people have died at that particular time because they can burn their bodies, throw them in the Ganges, and drink the, drink the water from the ashes. And then, of course, their relatives come back in some other form. You know, you're either a snake or a rat or a, a cow or something else. You never, you never evolve, you devolve. That's the, that's the bad part about reincarnation. It never gets better, it gets worse. <laughs> but in, in doing that, several of the team that we were with, the guys were out there handing out Gospels of John, and they came back, they were just bloodied and beaten, and they were so happy <laughs> that they had been beaten for the sake of Jesus. And I thought, in America, we would write a book about it probably. <laughs> Somebody beat me up for the name of Jesus. But whenever Christians got comfortable in the New Testament, God would send persecution because they couldn't get the church out to spread the church out. So he sends persecution, and then the church spreads. So we have to understand the incredible growth of the gospel. In the first centuries, without DVDs, without any kind of printing mechanism, no printing press, without any kind of equipment to spread the gospel from 3,000 to 5,000, not including the women and the children. So that's 25,000. And it began to spread until at the end of the first century, they, they estimate in Asia Minor, that's only Western Turkey, Asia Minor, there were 300,000 believers in Western Turkey. And Paul was able to say, everyone has heard the gospel in Asia Minor in two years. The spread of the gospel, because they had something in the book of Acts that we do not have. They had persecution. They had apostolic ministry. They had signs and wonders and miracles. And they literally bound the demonic powers of the area that they were preaching in. And so the gospel spread so fast 
And of course, persecution is a major reason. <clears throat> the sermons by Peter to the people on the day of Pentecost, to the Sanhedrin, and Paul's speeches to the Jews of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin and the Roman rulers in Judea set a standard for the defense of the gospel. Now let me talk about this one second. There are several sermons. For instance, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. That's what we call an apologetic. That's, it's not he didn't apologize. It's a defense of the gospel. It means here are the reasons why the gospel is the only way to salvation. And so he would trace the history, then he would begin to drop the plumb line of how Jesus was the appointed Messiah. So watch these, watch these sermons so you have a good polemic because there are very few people doing this anymore. Ravi Zachariah is an apologist. You should listen to everything he says. He's an apologist of the gospel, a polemic, a defense of the gospel. So Paul did it, Peter did it, Stephen did it, he got stoned. Paul did it, he got stoned. Peter did it, he got stoned. They all got stoned, they all got flogged, they all got put in prison except for Stephen, so they just killed him. I mean, we're afraid to say it because it's not politically correct. We're so afraid in our pulpits to say sin is sin because people might start give, stop giving their tithe. <laughs> if we actually call sin out, it's going to be unpopular. And consequently, you could get sued or you could have some other problems. Or if you're in the state of California, you've got major problems preaching the truth or dealing with issues. This is in America and it's going to become more widespread. There's got to be a spirit of boldness and fearlessness that says, I will not let consequences deter me from preaching the gospel. And the gospel is only a nice religion if it sets people free. <laughs> if it returns political, it is no longer nice because it is damning them instead of saving them. The polemic, the defense of the gospel. Number seven, signs and wonders are miracles throughout the book of Acts. We have doctrines that are espoused by major denominations and by major authors like John MacArthur, who has tremendous, I have his commentaries, tremendous commentaries. He's a cessationist. All these things no longer exist after the first century church. The problem is that there's no more power to reach the world. It's not there. And in addition to being incorrect theology and faulty theology, written as if it is good theology, the problem is that the book of Acts is worth, literally worthless other than being history. Because it does not give us the key to revival in any area and demons are not afraid of it. But demons are afraid of signs and wonders and miracles. And as I will mention in one of the points to come, anytime you see a true move of God, it will always bring demonic power out. It will always expose it. In every revival, it will, demons can't hide during revival. And you will see through the book of Acts, there's constant demonic activity in various forms. For instance, in chapter number five of the book of Acts, 
when we have Ananias and Sapphira that are being exposed in their sin, the Bible says Satan has lied to your heart. You literally acted through the response of Satan himself. That's one form. The demon-possessed spirits that are revealed in other places in the book of Acts will take different forms uh, down to the point of uh, from Elamus the sorcerer uh, in chapter number 13 going down to chapter number 19 where this is the sons of Sceva trying to cast out demons by the name of Jesus whom they did not know. So it takes various forms. But it's demonic activity is going to be exposed and whenever it's exposed, it comes along with the package of signs, wonders, miracles, healings, revelation, the preaching of the gospel, persecution, demons. Mm -hmm. Here's another point of demonic activity that sometimes people don't recognize. It's from, it's from Luke 13. Jesus is preaching, and a woman in the crowd said, Blessed is the womb that bore you, that bare you, and the breast that gave you suckle, that gave you suck. What she was doing was espousing Mariolatry. Look at the woman. He said, no, blessed are those that do the will of my father. Yeah. It was a demonic spirit intruding into a sermon to throw people's eyes away from Jesus. Whenever you see a demonic intrusion of a sermon, don't answer it. She was part of a cult that was trying to establish a false messiah. And the false messiah was the Roman emperor, Tiberius. She was trying to turn people's minds away from Jesus. Catch that. This is demonic activity in a different form. Something that comes along at the very moment God wants to reveal something. And the most poignant point of your message, or the most, the most uh, necessary for thing for people to catch, somebody will intrude it in some way that was not the Holy Spirit. Catch that and don't allow it. Now, I'm not talking about people saying amen, they're agreeing with you. I'm talking about intrusions that were not God, but somebody made it sound spiritual, but it was demonic. Watch for those. Watch for those. Don't just tolerate them and don't answer them. He said, no, blessed, immediately turn the eyes away from that woman and from his mother to God the Father. Blessed are those that do the will of the God the Father. Signs and wonders and miracles. Did you know that the signs and wonders and miracles are rarely mentioned in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke. The miracles are mentioned, but the words signs and wonders and miracles are not mentioned as they are together in the book of Acts. They are mentioned more in the Gospel of John, but in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Jesus said, Pharisees, you want to see a sign, but you got, you got bad motives. He said, for you Pharisees, the only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah, which is the resurrection of the dead. That's the only sign I'm going to give you because an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. So he would never accommodate the Pharisees with a sign. And his brothers were trying to get him to show off. Come on, show them the signs. And in the Gospels, he would say, you're seeking a sign because you're so ungodly. 
But in the Gospel of John, he begins to list the sign beginning with the turning of the water to wine. So I will be giving you in your notes what signs and wonders means, right in verse and, and point number seven of the themes. The Greek word for signs, Simeon. Everybody said Simeon. Simeon, a sign, it means it points to something, just like you have a sign that says that way. Coming into our development, there's a sign that says one way. So Jesus began to perform signs. And so in the Gospel of John, it says this is the first sign that he did. So when you talk about Cana of Galilee turning water into wine, it was pointing to something. Notice who intruded this time was his mother. She began to try to rush him to display the miraculous. Remember that? <coughs> this time it was his mother trying to interrupt. He graciously stalled her. He graciously said, no, don't try to rush me. But this was the very first sign, and then it will mention it again. I mentioned those signs that are beginning to take place here. Water to wine, chapter 2, verse 11. This is in the next page, page 2. Now, uh, chapter 4, verse 54. The son of the Capernaum man was healed, not in Capernaum, but he was healed in Cana. This is the second sign. So it says this is a second sign, the Simeon. It means it's pointing to something. What's it pointing to? Jesus is the Messiah. This is the Messiah you've been waiting for. Here's some more signs. Feeding of the 5,000 is a sign. The healing of the man born blind was a sign. The raising of Lazarus was a sign. Now many other signs, they all pointed to something. Jesus never did miracles just because he wanted to impress people. There was always a purpose to the miracles. There was always a purpose. So signs and wonders. Wonders is teros. is a Greek word, teros. Say teros. It creates awe and wonder. Wow. How many know that if you're Saul of Tarsus and you're headed to Damascus to arrest and kill more people, and that was his intention to arrest and kill them, and you're struck down by a blinding light and you hear a voice that you recognize as the Lord that's called a teros, a wow and awe. This is unbelievable. Chris and Ronnie Bear, sitting in the, sitting in the room, just raise your hand so they know, in case they don't know you, Chris and Ronnie Bear, pastor locally, a couple a mile away, uh, very locally. Chris and Ronnie Bear had some men in their church go out just a matter of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, prayed for a woman. They'd go out on Saturday nights and pray for people that are homeless under the bridges and under the place where the homeless gather in Fort Worth and, and take them food and pray for them. And, and a lady was saved who'd been in a severe car wreck. Had been in a severe car wreck and she had become addicted to painkillers. She had metal rods in her knees, in, in her legs, and, and metal in her knees and the pins that you could easily see. They prayed for her salvation and prayed for her healing, and the rods disappeared. I'm talking about a month ago. Wow. This is called a teras. It's this that becomes common in revival. 
It's this that becomes common in revival. Amen. So they did an x-ray. They Just a couple weeks ago, the testimony came out. The doctors did an x-ray. There is no metal in her legs. And the guys that prayed for her actually touched the metal and the pins, and they're gone. They're gone. They're gone. God has recently done a tremendous miracle in our great-grandson. Unbelievable miracle. This is Wow! This is like you cannot explain this. God is wanting to reveal Himself again in these last days in a teros, in a sign that points to Jesus the Messiah. Because we're living in these days where whenever Jesus comes back again, they will look upon Him whom they crucified, and the sign will have ended. <laughs> Here is the reality. He has arrived. The signs have been pointing, have been pointing, been pointing to Jesus, 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 and the wonders and the miracles. Now, the word miracles we know more famously through the word uh, dunamis, which is powers, dynamite. So it is generally translated miracles in the New Testament. It generally says miracles. And Jesus said, when you shall receive power, words of Jesus, first chapter of Acts, verse number eight, you shall receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we'll be talking more about this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive dynamite and a man and a man who had just 50 days earlier denied Christ, no boldness, no gumption, no backbone, no nothing. The one who died for him, he was going to be denying him three times, is the same man that stands up with dunamis and 3,000 saved. And he becomes fearless. He becomes fearless. The power of the Holy Spirit. I, I, when I was in Bible college, I went to hear my mom. I just feel sorry for everybody that we're not back in the days when my mom was preaching, so you could have heard her. But my wife and my daughter and my granddaughter, ever, my, my family is going to carry on that tradition. Amen. Tremendous anointing on my mom. But three Church of Christ seminary students came to hear her speak in Santa Cruz, California, where I was attending college. And during the altar call, they motioned her over to the side and they said, uh, Mrs. Titus, uh, what you're teaching is of the devil. And if you would like, we can set you straight. Because she was teaching on the Holy Spirit. And she said, okay, I'd be happy to talk to you. She said, let me just finish praying for people in the altars. And, and she turned and walked away and she heard, kathud, kathud, kathud. And three bodies of three seminarians were knocked to the ground and could not get up. Wow. She didn't touch them. Nobody touched them. They were smitten by the Holy Spirit. And pretty soon you heard them speaking in tongues. <laughs> How many know you're not bigger than the Holy Spirit? <laughs> That's awesome. My dad did not believe in any of this slaying of the Spirit, and I don't believe in a lot of it because I've seen it so manipulated, and I've seen people put pressure on people. One guy that Frank didn't even know him, it was at his church, and during the altar call, this guy, the enemy loves to move through Christians 
to distort the Word of God and to distort the real Spirit of God. And I don't allow it. I mean, I love the move of the Spirit like nobody else. But I, I tell you what, if I see any activity that I see somebody manipulating, you see a different Spirit coming out of me. I said, take that man and move him out of there immediately. Frank carries the same Spirit. We don't go for this kind of stuff. And I saw him people struggling to stand up as he was pushing them over so he could be impressive. When the, when the Holy Spirit moves, you don't need to impress anybody. The Holy Spirit can impress people all by himself. <laughs> the power of God, the power of God. So my dad didn't believe this because it was in Catherine Kuhlman's meeting. And it was in Washington, D.C., and Catherine Kuhlman was ministering. And people were just falling out all over the place. And she wasn't... She wasn't touching them. They were just, it was just like, Mike, there they, well, there they go. You know, like, well, there's somebody else. See, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, when they all moved into unity, the priests could no longer stand. And all the priests were literally slain in the Holy Spirit at the same time, simultaneously, because the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. How many know that will bring a crowd? So they invited all the pastors to the front. My mom and dad were going up there, and he began to walk the steps up, and he kept sliding backwards. So it'd take a couple of steps, and it'd slide backwards. He'd take a couple more steps, and it'd slide backwards. <laughs> My dad, who didn't believe in any of this thing, slid all the way from the top of the stairs all the way to the bottom of the stairs, <laughs> unable to stand up because the Holy Spirit had gotten his attention. <laughs> The Holy Spirit is going to bring a revival in these days that will eclipse everything that has ever happened from the Pentecostal move, from the early church to the Pentecostal move in 1906, to the charismatic move and Jesus people's move in 1960 in the last days. I will pour out my spirit in the last days, remember, began on the day of Pentecost. Because Peter stood and said, quoting from Joel 2.28, the Spirit will be poured out in these last days. So Acts chapter 2, verse 17 is Peter saying, this is happening right now. Because we understand with God, a thousand years is but a day. And in these last days, God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And we're going to see, who was it recently that was telling me, if you're here, while, the, while they're... While they're Oh, Doug Murin, I think, was the one. He said, he said he decided to do what he experienced in the move of God uh, in, our, uh, in our original uh, move of the Spirit of God in revival in our church at Washington State in the early 60s, or the late 60s, I should say, is that there was such an overwhelming move of the Spirit of God that, that every day, I mean, there was... There were people getting saved every single day. Our house was full, all three levels. People saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, being, being delivered from demon spirits. And he said he decided that all of these years of his being seeker-friendly, he was going to step back and let God move again. Because he built a seeker-friendly church of 5,000 people. Well, you could not even pay the Holy Spirit to show up. I mean, the last time I went to that church, I thought... Because he was so seeker friendly, but he was not seeking the Holy Spirit. And he decided, I want to return to that fervor and that, and that passion for the Holy Spirit. So he said, I just, he said, I just 
just quietly prayed. And he said, you can literally hear the bones of a woman snapping. You could hear it audibly as she was sitting there and the bones in her back were snapping and being put in order. And as she begins to cry out and it began to spread through the crowd as he just closes a meeting in prayer and God begins with the Holy Spirit falling on people. The activity of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders and miracles. We're going to see signs and wonders and miracles. And that was the prayer of Acts chapter 4, verse 30. Lord, extend your hand to heal. So it makes me think, because God answered with an earthquake. It makes me think that if we were to pray prayers like this again, we might be able to see the rock and roll in our churches again, and the houses again, and the places where they're gathered again. As the Holy Spirit of God begins to move, if we actually anticipate, not manipulate, but through prayer, begin to ask God, show up in signs and wonders and miracles. How many know we need revival in this nation? We need revival in this nation, and we need revival in all of the nations. And, and pagan Europe that used to be Christian Europe is no longer Christian Europe. Unless there's revival, we're praying for Portugal now, going to Portugal, never had revival, never had revival, Spain, Portugal, Spain, Portugal, Italy have never had a revival, never had a move of the Spirit. France never had a move of the Spirit. And the birthplace of the Christian church, beginning with the Apostle Paul, never had revival. Lord God, start revival. Brazil, bring revival. In my nation, bring revival. In my city, bring revival. Signs and wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for that, our city. We don't want just bigger churches. We want Satan to be completely paralyzed in our cities. Satan completely paralyzed. And the fraudulent Christianity that is rampant around the world, fraudulent selling cloths, selling prayers, fraudulent demonic activity, <coughs> demon spirits, deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, rampant. We need to move the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, miracles, signs and wonders and miracles. <coughs> In the name of Jesus, the shadow of Peter. The shadow of Peter, meaning the sun was hitting him, falling on people, so the shadow is bigger than the person. The shadow falling on Peter was healing them, Acts chapter 5. Claws taken from the body, smelly claws, and the word for claws in Acts chapter 19 means his sweat band where he made tents. His sweat band, his smelly stuff was healing people. We're not talking about an amulet. We're not talking about some kind of a spooky thing, holy oil from Jerusalem, holy water that you pay some charlatan. We're not talking about fake manipulative because Satan is always trying to counterfeit the real, which means that he knows what the real is or he would not try to counterfeit it. We're talking about such a supernatural presence of God. My mom was preaching in Finley, Ohio, and a cancer had begun to grow on her nose. 
And it was getting larger and larger, and it was beginning to block the vision moving into her eye. She saw a doctor there, and he said, where are you from? She said, California. He said, go home immediately and have surgery. Said, you're, that's spreading. You will lose your eyesight. It will spread into your, into your brain. Go home immediately and have surgery. One of the ladies of the church brought her an anointed claw, said, Sister Rachel, African-American lady, Finley, Ohio. Her name was Williams, a registered nurse of some kind in the city of Finley. Said, if you will take this cloth, I prayed for it. Pin it on your nightgown. When you go to bed tonight, God's going to heal that cancer. God told me. The next night she goes to preach with the cancer still on her nose and Sister Williams says, well, you didn't pin the cloth on your nightgown, did you? <laughs> My mom went back that night, getting ready the next morning. She was putting on her makeup. She looked in the mirror and thought, the cancer's gone. The cancer's gone. She had pinned the cloth on her nightgown, went to bed. She shook out the sheets, never found the cancer. This malignancy that was growing so fast why don't we see those things? Maybe because we don't believe they exist. Maybe because we've been talked out of it. Maybe because we're afraid somebody's going to be offended. Maybe because we don't pray. Because there is no miraculous without prayer. All of Jesus' miracles occurred as a result of prayer, not because he was God. Do we realize that? You can trace every miracle in the life of Jesus it was preceded and followed by prayer. Luke 5, 16, Luke 6, 12. It is immediately, he prayed, miracles happened. He prayed, miracles happened. For God to move in our churches in the signs and the wonders and the miracles, things that we have not contrived or manipulated, they're a result of the passion of the heart that says, I, want, I don't want anybody to go to hell for my city. The passion of the heart that says, they're, they're, I, I, can't, I can't stand to see addictions. I, I hate addictions. I hate cancers. I hate crime. I hate sin. I want to see revival. I want to see revival. Signs and wonders and miracles. So in 1906, and I went there, in 2006, to the house that William J. Seymour, and by the way, God uses the despised things of the world to bring to foolishness the people who think they're something. And the people that others would reject, God uses that point of rejection, God uses that as the point of acceptance. So, I went to the place of William J. Seymour because he had been kicked out of the church that he had preached in on Sunday because he preached on the Holy Spirit, though he himself had never been filled with the Holy Spirit. So William J. Seymour then goes, is invited to a, a man's house on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles, California. That house has now been turned into a museum by um, uh, the uh, Church of God in Christ has turned that <clears throat> into, a, into a museum and you can go see it today in, in Los Angeles. So he prayed from August 
9th to August 14th. He prayed 15 hours a day. And I went into that room before they had opened the museum and one of the workers said, I'll let you go in. If you don't tell anybody, I'll let you go in. So I've told everybody ever since. (laughs) And I could still, when I walked in, it, it felt like all the hair was standing straight up on my arms. How many know the Holy Spirit loves to congregate where you pray? That's why Jesus talked about that prayer closet. And that's why angels know where it is. They know where your prayer closet is. Jesus said, because I want to answer you openly, but I want you to pray in secret. I went into this. He prayed for these days, these five days, from August 9th to August 14th, 1906. Did not know that there was a pillar of fire that was burning over the top of the house, though it didn't consume the house. It was, it was visible. And 200 people gathered on the porch. So many people gathered on the porch that the porch collapsed. And that's when he moved to this little livery stable that had been a former Methodist church on Azusa Street. It is no longer there. There's a little plaza there now that is run by a Japanese company. Little plaza that marks this was where the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. This is where the Holy Spirit, uh, excuse me, on the the Pentecostal move began. And the Pentecostal move of God, the move that began in 1906 was the largest move of God since since the uh, day of Pentecost. And then the charismatic move eclipsed that move of God. But the Bible is pretty clear in Isaiah and Habakkuk, twice in Isaiah, that the glory of the Lord and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So the possibility that we will see a move of God eclipse that move of God in 1906 and through the sovereign will of God yet in answer to prayer. God will move again in the most unlikely of places, probably where there's the greatest sin, (laughs) probably the most unlikely place, using the most unlikely people. God says, let's try it here. Because God loves to surprise people. Even Peter's sermon to the house of Cornelius, right in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit falls didn't even let him finish his sermon because it was getting too long. (laughs) The Holy Spirit fell right in the middle of his sermon and the people were baptized in the Holy Spirit and the Gentile world was opened up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a longing in me and I believe it is coming again. I believe I'm seeing it and I believe that you're seeing it in little spots of fire here and there, globally, little spots of fire But I believe that it's going to become a conflagration. It's going to become a wildfire as the Spirit of God overrides everything, including politics. As the Spirit of God moves in deluge and burns and consumes and liberates. And we experience again unbelievable miracles and signs pointing to Jesus the Messiah and wonders that create absolute awe that you cannot explain it. Right. 
Uh, I don't know if you were able to hear Todd White's sermon from CFNI last, was it last Tuesday night, Fernando? Fernando led worship and Todd White spoke for two and a half hours. Dear God, I was expecting Uticus to fall out of the window. Whenever he, he preached, gave his testimony, this sermon is incredible. You need to listen to it. I guess you can listen to it online. CFNI is from last Tuesday night. Unbelievable. Me- listen to it, listen to it, listen to it. It's not just one truth. It's one right after another. It just never stops for two and a half hours. It never stops one truth after another. But he was giving his testimony and was, they, they adopted a little, um, they adopted a, a, a baby that was a heroin addicted baby, crack cocaine addicted baby. The crack cocaine addicted baby because the baby was born to a mother who was addicted, so the baby's addicted. So nobody wants these babies. So they have to go through, they have to go through withdrawal. They have to go through horrible, horrible. So for months he had to stay in the hospital watching this baby just continually go through withdrawals. And the nurse had been so, what should I say, so jaded because of these mothers give birth to cocaine babies and go out and have another baby that is an addicted baby and have another baby. She's so jaded, the, the nurse who's on charge of the floor. And Todd doesn't know anything. He's just going through the floor praying for their baby and praying for every baby and praying for the parents and praying for... So he just goes from one room to another praying for somebody and saying, the Lord spoke to me and said, you have pain in your back right now. No, you have pain in your neck right now. He's praying for all, you know, people. And he, she brings her aside and says, what you're doing, because people think you're Jesus, is not acceptable. And she says, God no longer does things like this. So immediately was able to discern where she came from theologically. So rather than counter with an argument, he told her his testimony. Because you can't argue with a testimony. This is where I was. That's why my testimony, no matter what it was, is powerful. No matter what your testimony is, your testimony, you can't argue with a testimony the blind man in John chapter 9, they said, come on, we demand. He said, now this is strange. I used to be blind. Now I see and you're questioning me. And his parents were afraid they would get kicked out of the synagogue, so they answered politically correct. But you can't argue with it. How can you argue with it? How can you argue with it in these last days? Signs pointing to Jesus, wonders, teras, Wonders that I, how can you argue? How can you argue? Our great-grandson, her grandson, miraculously healed, had not spoken for two years, and his first words in the middle of the night were was hallelujah. His first word was hallelujah. Because of the signs and the wonders and the dunamis, the dynamite, the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power, signs and wonders. They said that Charles Finney got on a train one day 
And as he was walking down the aisle of the train, people were being slain in the spirit. They were being knocked over. He walked into an industry they were manufacturing, and all of the machines stopped silent, and people fell to their knees and began to repent. John G. Lake would walk into a crowd, and immediately people would be healed, and demons would begin to scream. If, if we are full of the dunamis of the Holy Spirit, I had a man say to me, don't come in my restaurant anymore. He owned a restaurant. He said, because my wife starts screaming every time you come in. His wife was demon-possessed. And every time I come in, she'd start screaming. I said, no, I'm coming in some more. <laughs> demon-possessed. There is something about the power of the Holy Spirit that will emanate from you. Have you ever heard people say, you know, I, I just felt something in your hands? It's not because God anoints right hands or God anoints left hands or left foot or right foot. It's because the Holy Spirit emanates from you. By the way, none of Jesus' miracles was similar to the other one. Shall I run that one through again? Just make sure you caught it. Jesus never photocopied, duplicated, replicated anything he had done before because he never did anything until he heard the Father doing it. He saw the Father and he heard the Father. Then he would respond. It was not a copycat ministry. It was not, okay, we're going to slay everybody in the spirit on the right side. We're going to do this because it was so original because the Holy Spirit was moving. He's original. It is not, it is not stale manna. But there's got to be a hunger in our hearts. God, we want to see you move. I'm just tired of the same old, the same old. Are you? I'm just tired of the same old, same old. I want people, when they enter into my presence, to sense that God is in this place. God is here. God is here. The shadow of Peter healing them. Jesus, fall on us by your Holy Spirit. By the way, there's dual, there's dual activity of the Holy Spirit. He simultaneously fills you. As Jesus said, from within you, John 7, rivers of living water, and he falls on you. Chapter 10 of Acts, chapter 11 of Acts, chapter 19 of Acts, chapter 8 of Acts, chapter 2 of Acts. He epipipto, he falls on you. And it means like, in a, like a robber would fall on you. You would have no idea until he jumps out of the shadows, falls on you. That's what it means. He just unexpectedly, the Holy Spirit falls on you. He fell, so there's that activity of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, fill me and fall on me. <laughs> I want to see the Holy Spirit of God send revival in this nation, mess up our plans, mess up our program, and see people get delivered, see people get set free, see entire cities saved. Debbie and I, when Felipe were just in Belain, uh, on the Amazon, our first time there. The church has, what was it, 150,000 people in the church? They have 500. They want to put a church within every neighborhood of the city, 1.5 million people in Belain. They want to put a church in every neighborhood so every single person could walk to church. They have, they have over 500 churches now. 
one-tenth of the city is already saved from this one church, not including all the other churches. One-tenth of the city. Is it possible that God can save cities? The Bible says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching on this name. Stop speaking on the name. And Peter says, how can I stop speaking on the name? I can't. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we want to experience the move of your Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop teaching right now and start praying. I want to stop teaching right now and start praying, and I'm going to start praying.